0: It's Tuesday, January twelfth, two thousand and sixteen. Hard to believe it's twenty sixteen, but there it is. Uh, this is the Reading Odyssey. We are discussing Livy, uh, books twenty six and twenty seven, in this evening's call. Um, all right. Well, we ended up uh, skipping December. We had we had low turnout, and um, I think everyone. Uh, December is always tricky, of course, because of the holidays. We probably should just maybe not do it in future years. Um, give everyone a, a little break and maybe some time to to catch up with the reading. So some of you may have may have read beyond uh, books twenty book twenty seven, uh, but we'll try to more or less combine our comments tonight to books twenty six and twenty seven uh, it we're. The tide of the war really turns here. It's a, these are these are exciting books, particularly uh, book book twenty six is where I think the, the finally, after slogging through you know three hundred or so pages, we things start to get brighter for the Romans. Um, so we'll we'll talk through uh, those, and we'll we'll start, of course, as we always do with favorite passages. Uh, but before we do that, I want to welcome our newest reader. Uh, Stuart Alter. Stuart, um, how did you hear about the Reading Odyssey?
1: Uh, through um, Elizabeth Bernhardt, who I believe has
2: been oh,
0: good. part of the Yep. Yeah. Excellent. And have you had a chance to um, to read the the text up to this point so far?
1: Uh, I've read 21 and then 26 and
3: 27. Okay. <laughs> so I
1: have
3: to go back
0: to uh, A. Yeah. Well, <laughs> It skips. Those are a bit of a slog, so not not a bad way to approach it. <laughs> Although I, uh, it's it's good to read the whole text, of course. Um, all right, so let's let's dive in, um, Stuart. What we like to always start with, and uh, we find it it typically takes us into interesting conversations, is um, a discussion of uh, favorite passages. Uh, what are there are there quotes, and I want to remind everyone that I would like you to when you share the a favorite passage to share the page number. Hopefully, you're, you've got the Oxford World Classic in front of you. If not, you can at least share the, um, the book and the chapter number. And that should get us within fighting distance of what you're talking about. Um, Scott Thompson, Happy New Year to you. Can I call on you to kick us off with a, with a favorite passage here in these two books?
4: Yeah, I um, I will. It's it's uh, it's unfortunate I have an electronic copy, but I yeah. according to this copy, which I think is the right edition. Hang on, just a sec. It's yeah. position um, six four four eight, and I think it's page three thirty one. Um, and it was oh, okay. I actually I actually sent it around. It was it was what I called the neutron bomb. Uh, passes mm-hmm. when they said how laudable their policy was, and that they killed all the living, uh, all the um, leading citizens in the town that they just captured. But they decided to uh, they they left the blame the blameless building standing. So I, I, I thought it was sort of like a <laughs> bomb approach to uh, to ancient warfare, you know. Which is, uh, so yeah. it's not, it did not come along in the '80s. It's not. New. I'm sorry. I should say that's book 16 of, or that's chapter 16 of, of book uh, 26.
0: Great. And why don't don't you read the passage to us so we can at least, in translation, appreciate these words. Thus,
4: thus the matter of Capua was settled by implementing a program that was laudable in every respect. The punishment of the most blameworthy was harsh and swift, and the bulk of the citizen body was dispersed, with no prospect of return. But there was no fire and destruction wreaking havoc on inoffensive buildings and walls. (laughs) And in addition to gaining economic advantage, the Romans also managed to provide their allies with a demonstration of their clemency. For they were leaving untouched a city of great fame and great wealth, whose destruction would have caused tears to flow throughout Campania, and throughout all the peoples living around Campania. The enemy was obliged to admit the magnitude of Roman power when it came to punishing disloyal allies, and the complete inadequacy of Hannibal's assistance for those who he had taken under his protection.
0: <laughs> so what? So um, taking into account your comments, guys, the neutron bomb. I mean, what? How do you see this passage? Trying to put yourself in the frame of mind of a, of Livy or an ancient Roman. Well, what, what's going on here that was so laudable from their perspective? How is it that they understood it as laudable? Do you think?
4: I think. I mean, honestly, they they understood it as laudable, and that you know their power was shaken by Hannibal as as nobody ever had, yeah. and um, and. They were able to you know reassert their power in a you know in a very visible and, and impressive way. I also yeah. think I mean you know given you know we read we read these ancient books and it's just sort of a siege end, and just you read sort of routinely that the city's burned to the ground and all the inhabitants are sold into slavery and yeah. um, compared to that they, the Romans i guess really were pretty pretty gentle with
0: <laughs> when, they,
4: when they when they finally took it, yeah,
0: yeah. Of course, we do, we do have that moment where the, the, the Senate attempted to um, rescind the order to kill the behead the leading citizens, and the pro-council decided to ignore it, right? right. <laughs> oh, well, I stuck the <laughs> letter in his pocket. Behead them! All right, good. All right, thank you, Scott. <laughs> Let me call on uh, Nan. What about you? What, uh, is, there a, is there a passage here from these two books that you'd like to share with us?
5: Actually, mine is very close to the one we just read. So mine is um, Chapter 18.
0: Okay. And it's it's,
5: um, in our book. It's page
3: 334.
5: Okay. So the top of the page
0: there. Yeah. Uh Okay. When they
5: were talking about um, when they elected the 24-year-old and then, you know, he stood up where on higher ground so he could be seen. Um, Everyone's gaze turned on him, and their shouts and cheers immediately predicted a happy and successful command for him. And it goes on and on. And then it says, you know, and everybody voted for him. And then after the event, when their excitement and fervor had died down, silence suddenly fell as people silently reflected on what they had done. And. It's just how now they get they got swept up in the moment and this young person. And I just had this picture when he stood on high ground so he could be seen almost like, you know, sunlight, you know, ray on him and like almost like a halo effect. And it <coughs> seems to me yeah. like this happens even today in this day and age. You know, these these certain people, politicians come on and everybody's just swept away by them. And but they, you know after they're elected or whatever, it's like, do we really know anything about this person? Like, what do we just do? <laughs> why,
0: don't, why don't you read the, read the actual words for us? It's always great to hear the words.
5: <clears throat> okay. Then suddenly, Publi- Publius Cornelius, son of Publius Cornelius, who had fallen in Spain and then about 24 years of age, declared his candidacy and stood on higher ground so he could be seen. Everyone's gaze turned on him, and their shouts and cheers immediately predicted a happy and successful command for him. They were then instructed to cast their ballots, and it was not (laughs) just the centuries that voted unanimously for command in Spain being vested in Publius Scipio. Individuals were unanimous as well. But after the event, when their excitement and fervor had died down, silence suddenly fell as people silently reflected on what they had done. Had their positive feelings for the man counted for more with them than reason? It was his age that caused the greatest concern, but some also had morbid fears over the family's fortunes and the man's name. He would be proceeding from two ill-fated households and into those provinces where his campaigns would necessarily be conducted amidst the tombs of his father and his uncle.
0: Mm. What a great passage. That last line really grabs you, doesn't it? Yeah. Where his campaigns would be conducted amidst the tombs of his father and uncle. Well, that's you could sort of hear the, the horns blaring, right? Yeah. Scipio has entered. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! But isn't it interesting that Livy adds this other element, right? That's people reflecting, um, this this is this is Livy, I think, at his literary best. Maybe not his best as a historian, but it's certainly his literary best. It's a great passage, Dan. Mm-hmm.
6: Thank you. All right,
0: let's, uh, let's call on Therese. Therese, why don't you to
7: I have so many. I'm going to pick one. Um, yeah, it's hard. What really struck me um, is because I don't really, actually I know absolutely nothing about uh, military history until reading this now, but um, every time there's a battle, they always um, give a, a calculation of how many people died. And they always include the battle standards, and I thought it was interesting. But it wasn't until um, Book Twenty Seven um, where the emphasis um, really made sense to me. So I guess we could go there to page three ninety six.
0: Okay, page three ninety six. That's um, Book Twenty Seven, chapters twelve to thirteen. All right. So what are you? Yeah, Marcelli
7: you? is. is um, is reprimanding his troops after losing the attack um, at Canusium against cannibals. And um, he's talking, if you get towards the bottom of of that page in in chapter 13, he says, um, you know, for I do not seem to be talking to my own army or to Roman soldiers, only your bodies and weapons are the same. Had your spirit remained the same, would the enemy have seen your backs or robbed any maniple or cohort of its standards? Until now, the enemy was priding himself on cutting the Roman legions to, sh- to shreds, but you, on this stand for the first time, giving them glory of actually putting the Ro- Roman army to flight. And then if you go up, skip one paragraph and then go to, um, the, then it says, Marcellus, then ordered the cohorts that lost their standards to be kept on barley rations. And the censures of the manifold whose standards had been lost were instructed to stand to one side, swords unsheathed, and belts removed. And it was just really fa- fascinating to me. A little further down, they talk again about losing standards. And I just, to me, it was all very new. And I looked it up and, and realized that the standards were extremely important in battle and directing the troops. Um, and in, in a couple cases earlier on, I think it actually um, saved battles for people, but I just think it's fascinating that they were, they were so important that they were considered along with a loss of life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you went ahead and did some additional research and discovered something more about the role the standards played, it sounds like.
7: Yeah, I just um, how they were used to direct the troops during battle. Um, yeah. I think fascinating.
0: What else? What what do what else do people know about the importance of the standards? Anyone want to add to what Teresa is saying?
8: Um,
6: I well, we part- know there's a couple. Is that Shauna? Yeah. Sorry, I I was just going. to no, go say, ahead. We know yeah. that we know that there are a couple of times, um, you know, in in previous chapters where to get soldiers to fight, the commanding officer of the unit will throw the standard over the wall. And so they have, to, they have to climb the wall that the enemy is guarding to get their standard yeah. back. Yeah. 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 It's a great um,
0: example.
6: This I is know. Andre.
9: This is Andre. Yeah,
8: yeah
9: Andre. Um, just something I know about it is uh, the soldiers that were honored to hold the standard were, were awarded that uh, because of bravery. And they, uh, they were armored just like all the other soldiers, but they had both hands on the standard. So they couldn't really defend themselves personally very easily. And um, so uh, they had to be protected, and they had to be pretty brave, you know, to to, to be more vulnerable. But they also wore sometimes a, a lion skin or a leopard skin or a wolf skin on their head, and that was another symbol of how honored it was to be able to,
0: to uh,
8: carry it, so. Um. Yeah. Well, well uh, this is Frank. Um, I'm just wondering yeah. if it's not a substitute for like a tribal talisman. You know, you're only a couple millennia away from uh, you know what the gatherers so the standard might just be representation of a tribal talisman. You know, back from you know a couple dozen generations prior. Uh-huh. It's just kind of you know. More you know, roll sauce from there, and you have it now with, with were you or the Marine Corps and that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's just another way to identify it in, a, in a tribal kind of way.
0: Yeah. and there's something quite powerful about it, right? It's just as John was alluding to. If you, you know, you threw the standards over the wall, the the soldiers had to go get it because there was a, it was, it played a functional role, but there was also something very, very powerful. Um, uh, and powerfully emotional about it for the soldiers.
3: Yeah, uh, this cool. is Harry Keller. And yeah, um, when you read uh, the histories of Napoleon's uh, various adventures, um, the talisman of the, of the, the standards the, the, uh, still holds true. Um, at the end of the battle, they'd, they'd count up how many they had taken from the enemy. And if they had lost any, it was a great dishonor. People were, were deeply ashamed. And uh, yeah. would go to great heroics to try to get them back. Yeah, I yeah. mean that all the way up through the mid 18, up to close to the Civil War. I think that I think yeah. that still stood.
6: Yeah. Sorry, this is Hannah again. There's there's also the matter of you know these these soldiers were not paid well and they were living in pretty horrific conditions. In many cases, they were slaves or they were very poor free people. Um, so really, all they were in it for was the glory, and that's what the standard represented for them. You know, it was the, the representation of Rome, which was, you know, a month's march away, which they may never even see again. But they had this, yeah. this flag.
0: Yeah. Well,
6: Hannah,
0: tell us uh, tell us about your one of your favorite passages.
6: Sure. Um, I was looking at uh, Book 26, from um, yeah. Chapter see chapter 45 so this is the siege of new
7: carthage in spain
0: ah yes so page 369 Um, in the oxford world
6: classic Uh, yeah i'm actually looking at i'm looking at um it's at on the top of the next page 370 right okay so okay oh yeah i have that all marked up myself (laughs) <laughs> Scipio has, does this cool thing where, so he's, he's attacking, he's besieging this, this important city in Spain where yeah. the Carthaginians are keeping not only their supplies but also their Spanish hostages. So winning them back is really going to help the Romans in terms of ally morale. And yeah. um, so Scipio does this cool thing. Should I read it? Yeah, please. Okay. It was about the middle of the day. The water level was dropping, in any case, as the tide ebbed, but in addition, there was also a brisk north wind that had arisen, was helping to sweep the receding waters of the lagoon in the same direction as the tide. This had exposed the shallow areas so much so that at some point, the water came up to the navel and at others barely to the knees. So this is the cool part. Scipio had worked this out by careful observation and reason, Mm -hmm. but he made it out to be a miracle and a case of divine intervention. The gods, he said, were turning back the sea to make a way over for the Romans. They were draining the lagoon and bringing into view paths on which man had never set foot and he bade them follow the lead of neptune who would guide them on their journey and reach the walls by taking a path right across the lagoon
0: <laughs> that is a great passage oh there's a lot to say about that but what so hannah first of all talk to us about this sentence if you had worked it, this out by observation but made it out to be a miracle what uh, well, what the, did you think the about thing
6: they the thing that came to mind for me is the crossing of the Red Sea, which obviously hadn't
0: happened. Right. Yeah,
6: so yeah. it's it you know it's this idea that there there are these you know very very logical and reasonable natural phenomena that people come upon them for the first time and they think it's a miracle. Yeah,
0: yeah.
6: And why? Also, also do it you know, says a lot about Scipio.
0: Yeah, yeah. Say say about that. Talk just just about that. What um, did you say about him?
6: So clearly, he's a, a you know more scientific commander, and he's interested in data. But yeah. he knows that his men are perhaps more convinced by religious fervor, and so he yeah. he makes it look like the gods are on their side. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Great. Anyone else want to opine on this on this passage?
1: Yeah. Hi, this is Stuart. Um, I was sort of wondering since this is the second time that. Livy draws attention to uh, uh, Scipio's uh, propensity for um, using divine intervention. Um, what, his, what we think Livy's attitude was about that. I mean, back in, um, yeah. uh, in, in 26, r- right after, uh, where um, Scipio was chosen, the, what somebody mentioned before, and, and everybody said, uh, well, he's, isn't he kind of young? Uh, Livy um, enters into a section on page 334, where he talks about how, you know, Scipio had this uh, uh, in public speaking, he would represent most of his actions as prompted by dreams at night or divine inspiration. Um, Perhaps he genuinely had a superstitious bent, or perhaps he sought unhesitating acceptance of his orders and plans by vesting them with some miraculous authority. I mean, I, I I didn't know whether... Livy was being cynical and sarcastic then, or kind of admiring of uh, of uh, Scipio's um, uh, or manipulating the crowds, or or what?
0: Let me let me ask. Let's open it up, but before we do, what what, what's your impression? What did you think? Livy's really attitude was towards Scipio relative to these matters.
1: He was being a little uh, cynical, but I didn't. But I, what w- wasn't clear to me was yeah. th- whether Livy himself believed in the divinity, or in other words, I, I, it wasn't clear to me whether he thought
4: yeah.
1: uh, whether he approved of Scipio doing this, or um, uh, or just accepted it as as fact. Yeah.
0: Or, or even admired it, right? And I think I, I think there may be something to say here, interestingly, about the Romans' attitudes towards um, another, uh, in this case, mythical heroic character, and that is Odysseus. Um, but uh, before I talk about that, I wonder what what, what what do other people think about Livy's Livy's attitude towards Scipio in these selections? What, what's going on here? Is as Stuart is asking, and Anna has pointed out, is, is he admiring Libby? Is he yeah. cynical? Is he some combination? What, 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 do you, what do folks think?
8: This
10: is Josh. My take on it was what um, was one. That he's admiring um, if you're doing this, while well, acknowledging that he was doing it as a way of. Uh, leading his men on but didn't really believe that this was an actual divine inspiration. And I think some yeah. of that may take into you know takes into account the relationship between the commanders uh, and the soldiers, as someone else pointed out. The soldiers were pretty low level.
8: Yeah, that was
0: Hannah, I think, who talked who talked about that. Uh, yeah, and there, yeah,
10: and we and we talked earlier about, you know, the commanders doing other things like throwing the standard over the wall to make the soldiers um, rush after it. You know, I think the, the idea that the commanders could do whatever is necessary to motivate the soldiers and make sure they fought was perfectly acceptable, whether that would yeah. be through manipulation or deception or wherever it might be. And uh, so my take was that he was definitely seeing this as a manipulation, but was admiring the manipulation.
0: Yeah. Andre, what do, what do you think?
2: Hello? Uh, yeah,
0: can you hear us? What do you think about Livy's perspective on, have you been following this conversation about Scipio and um, this passage on 370?
2: Well,
9: uh, I have been thinking about how the tide (laughs) is turned a little bit in these books from Hannibal to to Scipio. Um, And uh, he's setting up, you know, Scipio to, to, to be that, you know, we all know is going to be the big hero. Um, and sometimes I think he overdoes it a little bit. But, um, but at the same time, um, you know, I was interested in how Hannibal at the same time kind of is going down in general uh, from Livy's sort of description. Uh, I was uh, thinking about my uh, favorite passage uh, on page 358, where um, where Hannibal uh, is starting to, you know, he's not really using many good positive sort of descriptions of Hannibal, and um, at the same time, what Hannibal suddenly seems to be doing is costing, you know, basically costing the the, the war. Um, and Scipio doesn't play much of a role at this point yet, but it seems that you know even the little things he's in charge of are are really you know something to praise and so forth so that's
11: well do you
0: think on like on page three seventy andre you know the passage that Annana pointed out, Scipio had worked this out by careful observation but made it out to be a miracle and a case of divine intervention uh <laughs> You know what's going on there is Livy admiring Scipio's manipulation of his troops. Is he
2: skeptical
0: or cynical? Is he, you know, what 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 do we think? I mean, I I, I brought up the, you know, uh, we we started the reading Odyssey about a decade ago by of course reading Homer. And one of the things that you learn when you read Homer's Odyssey, of course. Um, is, uh, well, you you spend most of your time with Odysseus. He's, he's, of course, the main character throughout the Odyssey. And um, the Greeks and Romans had a very different perspective on Odysseus. The Greeks loved him, and the Romans didn't like him that much because the Romans felt he was a deceiver, a tricker, a trickster, which the Greeks thought, too, by the way, but they held in high regard, and the Romans tended not to. So given that we know that in general about Roman culture, the fact that Scipio... Is something of a trickster, not just in these passages, but also in, in the way that he uh, deceives the enemy at different times. Is is Livy admiring him? Is he is he uh, not admiring him? Is he is he criticizing him? Is it some combination? Is it conflicted? What well, um, What do you think?
9: Well, you know, we uh, remember in the Iliad, in Book Two, when Agamemnon's dream and um, he, and then they decide to tell the, the men that they're going to leave just to test them. <laughs> um, yeah. It kind of reminds me of that, but yeah. that it was okay to kind of like try and test the men in a certain way. Now here he's obviously, you know, like you say, he's manipulating to some extent. Um, but I think the Romans, personally I think the Romans would have praised this because um, it, it, whatever it took, you know, to get the men motivated or to complete the mission, you know, without compromising one's personal honor. I think in this case, he's, you know, the, the 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 whole goal is the mission, and um, uh, you know, the Romans were always ready to make a sacrifice at the beginning of a battle to see if you know it was time to attack, and they would ch- they would consult the the you know the sacred chickens, for instance, you know stuff like this. And even my students and I don't believe that they were always serious, but it was a really good way to kind of, you know, change people's attitudes, I think, about stuff. And maybe it was a little yeah. too convenient, you know, in this in cases yeah. like this. What do you think? I mean, yeah. Yeah. does that make sense? It's it's a really yeah. good question. I <laughs> you kind of caught me off guard there, you know.
0: <laughs> All right, but, well let's 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 let, 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 let's stick a pin in that, so to speak. We'll come back to that. I think it's an interesting question as well. Let, let's get some more people in, engaged in the conversation. Frank, I'd love to hear what, what what a favorite passage of yours was from these two books. Well, you know,
8: so my my pagination consistent with everybody else. That I have the Penguin uh, Questions version. Okay. Right, well,
0: give, I really us the give us the, the book and chapter, and we'll find it.
8: Well, I thought, I thought um, on book 26, um, chapter 13. Okay. Uh, Hang on just
0: a second. Let me find the approximate page number for that. We're looking at, okay, there's 12. Looks like it might be 326. Yeah, 326, the top of 326, 13 starts. How, how far into chapter 13 are you, Frank?
8: Uh, I was just kind of just juxtaposing, uh, because Vicious, it's been a while since I've read this, so, yeah, honest with you. Yeah, um, Vivius. Yeah. yeah, when they, when they, when they, when they basically says you know, let's do it a different way. Maybe the Romans catered so much that they gonna like, neglect their own real problems to punish us, which was at odds, you know, went on, you know, previously. Yeah, they're going to, you know, set everything aside. And then a few pages later, in chapter 15, he's kind of vindicated, of course. In fact, at that point, um, Claudius, or Fulvius has his way, and they basically match all the senators. So I thought it was really kind Mm -hmm. of telling that, you know, up until that point, it's like, well, you know, we're wins, they're going to treat us nice, we'll surrender, and then, you know, and then Lucius says, No, 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 you got, it you got it all wrong. They hate us so much, they're going to really hurt us and kill us. And then a few pages later, you know, there's a little so, debate between, uh, between Claudius and Fluvius, and Fluvius gets his way. Doesn't want to let him come back from Rome and just masters everybody. And it kind of shows the cruelty and how you can't you know, the human life, you know, back in those days as we can today. So, yeah. so that, you know, well, there's no, like, you know, great, uh, great words, they just thought the whole juxtaposition was kind of interesting. Another thing that always really struck me throughout the books is the fact that they were still doing human sacrifice. You know, every, you know, every so what say, well, you know, all these horrible things happened and they, were, you, and they were, like, you know, grown victims. It wasn't really until probably toward the end of, the, of like, book 26, they realized that they realized actually still sacrificing human beings at 200 B.C. So those are the two things, you know, besides the, the seesaw, the battles that I thought were really interesting. Just like a little view of how much they're like we are today, but also how much guru they are, or maybe how poor we still are. Uh, right. Right. Well,
0: it's it's reminding me. I know this is, uh, and and it, for those of you who, who haven't read these texts, I hope I hope it's not too trying for us to um, to hear you refer to texts that we read earlier. But do you um, do you remember um, the um, the moment in Thucydides when the Athenians decide to kill all the inhabitants of an island that had resisted them or had gone over to the Spartans, and then they the next day they reversed their decision and sent a trireme after the first trireme to say, no, no, don't don't kill them all. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you remember that. But that uh, I do,
8: but yeah. 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 I mean, even in the Bible, if you recall, um, yeah. uh, where the, when the Hebrews failed to kill the Sumerians, and that was one of the reasons why they had trouble later on. Yeah. Right? They didn't wipe everybody out, so that's why they had trouble. They, they failed to like clean, clean the land before then. That, that kind of still, still, you know, resonates with history.
0: Well, you know, Hannah brought up the, uh, you know, in the passage that she shared with us on page 370, right. that, you know, of course, it's hard to read that passage without thinking of the parting of the Red Sea. And it's interesting. So Livy is writing this, you know, at the end of the, rep- of the Republic and the beginning of the Empire. So right yeah. around you know, I don't know. i forget what the 18, intro 18, that, yeah. yeah, 18, something like that. So if if you remember from Herodotus, um, although I'm not sh- sure this piece was in her, or when we read the Old Testament, if you were part of that, for those of you who are with us, we read a scholarly edition of the Old Testament. One of the things that we learned, some of you may know this, is that the Torah... And the other books uh, beyond the Torah of what Christians call the Old Testament were pretty much put together in the form, more or less, that we understand them today at the time of the exile in Babylon. The
8: Bible, yeah, the Babylonian exile. Yeah, that no, I was, I was, I was part of the group, the group.
0: Yeah, which was 500 years earlier than when Livy is right. So I don't know, is it possible? I, I don't know we have any evidence, but. Uh, and, did, did Livy have any access to those stories or, uh, you know, somehow did it influence his writing? Who, who knows? Or, or, or did... Um, I believe he Leo, did. I think I not. I don't know if there's evidence in that. I find it hard to believe he did, but it it's certainly interesting to consider the possibility. Uh, but even
8: prior to Christ, you know, prior yeah. to Christ, you know, the Old Testament was starting to get some some weights in the, in the Greco world, so... It's quite yeah. plausible that those stories, you know, echo beyond, uh, you know, Palestine. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Good. All right. Let's hear some uh, from some others. Josh, have we heard your passage yet? I don't think we have.
10: No, oh, not yet. Um, so my passage was in Book Twenty Six, um, yeah. Chapter Forty. It's on page six. I'm sorry, three
0: sixty-three. Three sixty-three. So okay. So this is. Chapter 40 Book um, 26. Okay. All right, Josh, you want to, can you read to us? You want to read it to us?
10: This is us where you
0: are on the page.
10: Yes, yeah, so this is actually near, uh, the top part of the page. This is where uh, Levinus is coming back over after his victories. and it's talking about him sailing to Italy with a uh, disorderly crowd of men from uh, Gatherna. Um, they're a ragtag bunch of all sorts. of, <laughs> <bunch> of <people. laughs> Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Committed go
8: capital ahead.
10: So if you can envision sort of that one scene from Blazing Saddles, where they're like where they're trying to build <laughs> to invade the town, sounds sort of like that. But the part that I found interesting was a little bit down the, a little further down the paragraph. Um, he said he didn't feel safe to leave these people behind, and moreover. They would be of use to the people of Regium who are searching for a gang of men with experience in robbery for their raids on the territory of Brudium. And so a couple things here. First of all, you know, I'd love to see the job description that the uh, people of Regium put together for this band of men that they were looking for. Um, (laughs) I thought it was ironic that, you know, you're talking about, well, we need a band of men with experience in robbery for raids on on this other territory. And in... I'm just trying to figure out from, you know, how Livy is distinguishing this band of robbers from basically both the armies from Carthage and Romans who are essentially doing the exact same thing, which is going territory by territory, robbing and looting whatever they can and whomever they can defeat and capture. So for me, this was a little interesting because there seemed to be a distinction Livy was making between the armies of Carthage and Rome versus the activities of these people who would be considered robbery. And I couldn't really reconcile that in my mind.
5: Well, it reminded me of the difference between a profiteer and a pirate. You know, profiteer was legal piracy. And if you were a profiteer, you could do these things. If you were a pirate, it was against the law.
7: Yeah.
5: And the army... Had the power to do certain things because they were at war, but if you weren't in part of the army and you did these things, you were a criminal. It, it, that's how I read it. Not that and it's right is, or wrong. It's just, but it, it goes on,
8: yeah. you know, yeah,
5: in history. And this, this
8: is
0: at the point where Hannibal is in Brutium, right? This is, this is where he sort of hold up there, which is why I think they wanted to get these brigands to go and and raid the territory that Hannibal was holed up in. I, it's kind of like you know there were irregulars. There are often irregulars in wars. You mentioned profiteers and pirates, and certainly in the Civil War there were all kinds of irregulars on both sides who were, who were fighting, you know, um, wars outside of what the two what the two official armies were, were doing. I think that's how it, did, did, Josh. Did you not? Did you not read it that way, or what am I missing in your? No, it's I, a great passage, but it's a great passage. It really shows. Some some detail that's great to know, right? But but well, your, in terms of your question, what um, I what,
2: I
10: did read it that way. I just thought it was interesting yeah. that Livy was making the distinction here. You know that they yeah. need a people, a group of people with experience in robbery.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it is great.
10: Well, this is them.
0: one of the reasons okay. Livy is important, is because we get this kind of a cultural detail that we, we don't get in many other texts, right? So, you know, Livy may not be the best historian around, but, um, but he's giving us insight into Roman culture that, that we don't otherwise have uh, in the world we're in today.
3: It's great.
0: Cool. Thank you. Um, all right, so who else? Let's see. Harry, have we heard from you yet? I don't think we have.
11: No,
3: let me tell you my favorite passage. There's actually two yeah. of them, but this is my very favorite. It's in, it's in Book 26, it's on page 318, is where okay. it starts. He'll, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Okay.
0: Let everybody kind of catch up to you. So that's um, Chapter 7, looks okay. like, or maybe 6. Chapter 7?
3: Seven. 7, down near the bottom. And and there's one sentence that starts it, and that's when Hannibal is, is trying to uh, give Capua some... Uh, Relief, and he can't. And then he he thinks about it, and then he says, "Sentence goes." And the urge took him to head for Rome, the very epicenter of the war. So Hannibal decides he's going to leave Capua and drive on to Rome. So that's that. And then, if you go to the next couple of pages, it's page 321. All right. He says uh, about the middle of the just before chapter 10, just before chapter 10. From okay. there, he brought the army down into the area of Papina, and he encamped eight miles from Rome. The closer the enemy came, the more fatalities mounted among those fleeing to the city. Because he's got the Numidians out in front. So there's yeah. panic amongst the Romans as they're trying to get out of the way and beat feet to uh, Rome. Yeah. And then the next page is 322. Hannibal's now moved up to Rome. And at the top of the page, it says, Hannibal, meanwhile, moved his camp up the river Anio, three miles from the city. And uh, here he rode up to the walls and proceeded to examine them and the lie of the city from as close a point as he could. And to Flaccus it seemed outrageous that Hannibal should be doing this so brazenly and so nonchalantly. So you unleash some cavalry against him with orders to push back the enemy cavalry from the city and drive them back to their camp. So, and then, then you go to the. I'm, I'm quickly just running through this. Then you go to page yeah, 320. No, this, this is great. Yep, it is great. I love this. Then you go to th- page 323, and now they're ready for battle. They've 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 finished all their stuff. The both sides are going to come out and really get it get it on. And, and at the top of the <laughs> 2.3, the two armies were now deployed for an engagement in which the city of Rome would be the victor's prize. So we finally reached the point, okay? At that yeah. point, there was a heavy shower of rain intermixed with hail, and this caused such havoc in both battle lines <clears throat> that the combatants retired to their camps, barely able to hold their weapons. The enemy now leased their fears. Okay, so that's it for day one. So the next day, the lines were drawn up again in the same spot, and a storm of similar intensity separated them once more. And yet their return to camp was on both occasions followed by an amazingly bright and tranquil <laughs> weather. So they're all ready to get it on. They had these two storms. They kind of call it off. And then Hannibal, makes this, Hannibal was heard to remark that on one occasion he had been denied the will and on the other the opportunity to take roles. And so this great adventure, they finally get to the climax, climax where he's going to get to the uh, the center of gravity for the enemy and take Rome, and it just doesn't happen. It rained yeah. out.
1: Divine <laughs> <laughs> <Minus laughs> intervention.
3: I, I just love. Well, yeah. I read that twice. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. The first time I was laughing. So
0: so. Um, Harry, this, uh, you know I think this is such a thank you, and the way you presented these passages was, I uh, thought, terrific and great and very clear and helpful. One of the questions I think every reader typically has encounter this section of, of Book 26 is, what? What, what? Why didn't Hannibal continue on, right? I mean, is that, why? you know, why didn't he go out a third day? I mean, he's, he's right there at Rome, right? He's got his army. He's ready to go. What, um, what what's your sense of that? Um, did you have that question um, as well? Or
3: well, you know, the follow-on to that on, on that last page was was even funnier. Actually, it was yeah. there were two things that that got Hannibal's goat. One was the Romans, you know, sallied up their forces and rode out with their banners going north to help the guys in Spain. That that kind of ticked them off. here aren't I more important
0: (laughs) hey I'm here right outside your walls and you're sending one of your armies over to Spain
2: What?
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was great the the second part of that (laughs) the second part of that was a defector or a prisoner of war one of those guys he told Hannibal that uh, the land that Hannibal was camped on the Romans had just sold it And he was so, he was so angry and, what the hell, I'm, I'm on this land and you sold it? And he couldn't believe it. So then he got mad and he says, well, I'm going to sell all the land that the shops are on around the forum.
5: Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing was like a Monty Python thing. Is that the no. part where like Hannibal's <laughs> occupying something, but they said, oh, but that land's been sold?
3: Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I, I
1: Python.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so i you know well, even before that something Can't um I found kind of just a little amusing um was at the start of that passage that he just read on page three twenty one where hannibal uh is laying waste the agricultural lands of Frigale, with even greater ferocity. After that, he passed through the territory of Fruzino, Ferentium, and Agonia into that of Labici. And then, you see, he then headed for Tusculum by way of Mount Algidus. but he was refused entry to the town, so he veered to the right below. And it's like, he's laying waste mm-hmm. all these lands, and then even after that, all these fatalities are mounting up, but he was refused entry to one town, so he skipped it.
0: And really? I just have this oh, image right.
5: of him knocking on the wall or the door or whatever, saying, May I come in, please? Oh, no. Okay. No problem. Thank
6: you. It's like, it, it like the,
5: Yeah. It, it, it they wasn't like they, so. they put up this strong fight. It's just, Oh, no. We don't want you here. Okay. Fine. I'll go somewhere else. Thank you. It made no sense to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: So I say I, I looked into this a little bit because it just it I mean I, in, in addition to the comedy of the section which is very amusing I, I, especially the, the selling of the land right under him um, I um, I like what? what 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 this whole thing is about Hannibal's war and he's right there what happened like and it just sort of dies and he moves on and you know Livy doesn't really comment on it. You know, there's not like some big passage. Well, clearly Hannibal, you know, made the, the you know what what happened? This seems lame. And it's important to remember that there were two um, that there were two legions that were permanently you know stationed in Rome. In addition to you know Publius Scipio going out to Spain with the troops that he had he had mustered. So. You know what, what what I read, and I actually I haven't asked Paul Carlidge about this yet, and some of the other scholars we work with, I intend to do so, which is is that actually it was um, Liddy doesn't really kind of paint the full picture for us, but you know there was a, there was a tremendous amount of um, opposition, and it would have been p- perhaps what happened here, clearly is that Hannibal decided this was not going to work in addition to the hail and the land selling and all that stuff. like Literally, he the resistance was too strong at the actual city, so he was going to go and uh, harass the Romans' um, allies some more. Um, so that made sense to me, but I'd, I'd like to hear what our, what our scholars have to say about it, because <laughs> like, I was so disappointed. I was like, what? You know, you, you expect some kind of a big showdown. Like, we're at the walls of Rome, you know? I mean... Isn't this, after all, why he's here? And it, well, of course, what's also true in several different passages of Livy, Livy does point out that that Hannibal's uh, goal was never to raise this, never to like destroy the city of Rome, but to, um, but but to basically get them to um, accept Carthage and to rework, you know, the 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 relative influence of the two, of the two cities around the Mediterranean. So. Perhaps that also played a role, but um, I think I think from what I've read that fundamentally what happened here is that Hannibal realized he, couldn't, he wouldn't win at, at that point you know, at, the, at the actual walls of the city. Um, but thank you, Harry. That was a great telling of, this, of these important pages.
2: Well, Hannibal, <laughs> I mean, the readers of Livy's Time would know, would have some sense of what a, a siege of any city entailed. So we yeah. you think of a siege of Rome, I mean, it's not just that there were legions there, it's that laying siege to a city as large and defended as Rome would take probably years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you consider some of point. the other sieges and the yeah. months and months that they spent, you know, some of the ones, you know, where there were still, where the garrison was held by the Romans, but, the, you know, whatever, you know, these complicated, it, you know, they, 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 they got bogged down for months and months and months. So with Rome... That siege would take forever. Yeah, and, and so that may be why it doesn't really yeah. doesn't get him a lot of explanation because that probably would have been obvious to contemporary readers.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, sounds well, good. Point.
4: That's a good point. I was um, I was I, I was thought there was an interesting uh, comparison with Lee's second invasion during the American Civil War. You know, he didn't even dream uh-huh. of attacking Washington because that was just, his army just didn't have the capability.
8: Yeah. And
4: since his invasion was sort of an act of desperation because they were starting to lose the war in the West. And he right. had to do something. He couldn't just sit in Virginia and wait for the Federals to come down again. And in this right. case, again, it's almost desperation. He's been in Italy for years, but he finally moves towards Rome because of Capua. You know, his his most important ally is, is falling. Yeah. So it really yeah. was an act of desperation on his part. Not really. As, I don't think he ever, I don't, I, I don't think he had any serious I, I think he hoped that something good would happen. The Romans would do something stupid and he'd win another big battle, but that was sort of, a, right. that was sort of a wish rather than a real, real
0: solid right. Yeah. Maybe you're right. And who knows, maybe to, to also to, to Bill's point as well. I mean, if you're going to seize a city, you better have great supply lines of food supply for your soldiers. Right. And all the other stuff that you'll need to be able to do that. And, uh, it, you know they were moving quickly through the countryside, and it, it, I don't think they had they would have had what they needed um, to camp out there for a while. Um, all right, well let's let's keep going. Bill, you you um you, you want to share your favorite passage with us?
2: Um, I you know I I I, I had a couple of related pa- passages on a related theme that I, I just thought were yeah. were were. were seem seem have I wish people would pay more attention today one, one is the uh it's on page 357 where it, these are both just sort of asides. if the state is healthy she easily safeguards the individual's property but you would waste your time trying to save what is yours if you abandon the public cause which yeah so let's
0: let's helpful. just tell everyone that's at the top of page 357 uh second sentence the last sentence of that top Partial paragraph. And that 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 harkens right back to Pericles' funeral oration after the first year of the war. Right, remember uh, that speech, Bill, where where Pericles says, it, 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 "You're great because Athens is great. Athens created the conditions for you, the Athenian citizens, to be successful. Without Athens, you were nothing."
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, and. That's yeah, Livy may have even may very well have had that in mind. In, in that, well,
0: I'm sure he did. There's no question he would have read that. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, and I think the Romans under, you know, believed it too. It wasn't just that Livy read that. Yeah, uh, and right then, and it, this this flies in the face of the sort of extreme individualism that parts of our world today um, like to practice. I think of some of my brethren in Silicon Valley who act as if it was only their own genius and hard work. Not the context that the whole country's created uh, that, that has made them successful, but but let
2: alone uh, <laughs> let, let alone the contributions of NASA and the Defense Advanced Projects Agency. <laughs> Hello,
0: <laughs> yeah, their
2: yeah, exactly. prosperity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the other one, which again is it, a short aside, is is on page four twenty six, and it's just one month's one, it's another commentary on government. One must soothe one's country's anger like that of one's parents, they said, simply by patient acceptance of it. Okay, hang on a second.
0: You've moved us into Book 27, which, we, which I'm glad because oh, we yeah, haven't okay. spent much time in Book 27. So page 426, where
2: are you? Um, let me see because I'm looking at my note. Not at the, It's at the bottom this of
5: the page. Right a
2: uh,
0: 35. 35, the sentence 35. above 35. 35. Yeah, okay, good, there it is. Yeah. Yep.
2: Why don't you read that just, again for everyone, Bill? Oh, just one must soothe one's country's anger like that of one's parents. This is the council said, simply by patient acceptance of it. I yeah. thought there was some wisdom to that, both in regard yeah. to your parents and to uh, your country.
0: Um. <laughs> well, for you.
2: Good. Uh, yeah, partly the idea that that you know you may not always think the anger is justified, but you're better off just feeling you know patiently, you know rather than trying to argue your way out of it. Just let let them be angry for a while.
0: So let's let's um. I don't think we've heard from everyone yet on favorite passages. Is there anyone who'd like to jump in and? Did, I, did Alan? Did we hear from you?
11: Oh, no, you've not. Okay. I have. Uh, I have great respect for the way Livy tries to build drama. in yeah. twenty-seven. And yep. there's two related passages. Uh, one is on the top of page four thirty-three. Ah, very good. I'm so happy. I was hoping you would take us
0: to. 433 or the environments, Okay, so page
11: 433. Well, this part is to the point that you know uh, they were also the people were also tortured by the question of what gods would be so kind to the city and empire, grant the state success and both. Of time. To that point, they had kept things going by compensating for reverses with successes, and he talks about they win, they lose, they win, they lose. Um, yeah and they end up at the bottom of the paragraph, uh, the first of the two to gain a victory would join forces with the other in a matter of days. They were also frightened because of the previous year darkened by the death of the two consuls. Yes. And then he reinforces that on uh, page 438,
10: Yes. when uh, at the top, at the beginning of the paragraph,
11: um you read, the one? Uh, in that war and the violent consuls yep. that the previous year filled people with dread. And they noted that all those setbacks occurred when there was only one enemy commander, one enemy in army in Italy. Now there are two Punic wars in the country, two mighty armies, <laughs> et etc., et cetera. This is, you know, affecting, uh, in his mind, the panic that was going through both the leadership in the uh, the people of Rome as they uh, face the, I think the final denouement of the war in Italy. Right.
0: And then where? And then what happens? What what are we leading up to here?
11: we are leading up now to I'm... the defeat of Hasdrubal by the uh, by Nero's uh, trickery, if we want to use that yeah. term on Hannibal.
0: trickery, right? And what did he do? What was his trick?
11: His trick is he he fooled Hannibal into thinking that he was going, that his army was remaining there when he when he really stripped out his elite corps, dashes up uh, to face um, with the other consul Hasdrubal, and defeats Hasdrubal. Now Hasdrubal himself you know, brings this on himself by conducting a siege in northern Italy instead of uh, uh, speeding down to meet with uh, Hannibal. But Nero, uh, much uh, leaves part of his force to fix uh, Hannibal, dashes up, uh, crushes uh, Hazardable, uh, and then goes back before Hannibal even has any idea what has happened. Yeah. Now, do you know, is this Nero related to the Emperor Nero that we've all heard of? I don't think so. It may come out of the same family, but it does not, uh, I couldn't find that uh, any connection. Yeah. They are. They are indeed related,
0: actually. Um, Too bad not not, uh, the brilliance (laughs) didn't seem to get transferred, or at least the integrity, Uh, maybe the brilliance without the integrity. But uh, they yes, they're related, and that's part of why the Nero, the emperor, betrayed on his family's name, which still a couple hundred years later, um, was was still held in such high regard because of uh, the role that Nero had played, his ancestor in the uh, in the Second Punic War. It's a great it's a great passage, I, I mean, the, you, Alan, you're so right the the drama. And the way that Livy sets it up. I mean, this is his skill, uh, really, as a dramatist, as, as a literary writer. Cool.
11: I have a, a side question. Yeah. Uh, what strategy at the strategic level uh, and at the Senate level? Uh, Livy does some descriptions of the sortition of legions amongst the various leaders. But it never describes the process of who decides what legions belong to what uh, consuls and what predators. Is there any reading that describes or that type of political discussion?
2: The, uh, in the footnotes, it says it's by lot, sortition is specifically by lot. So it's random. Isn't there also some aspect that by, by doing it that way,
7: it has some divine aspect?
2: Presumably, yeah.
11: Doesn't it yeah, seem strange to allocate your military forces by <laughs>
2: lot? <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't—they didn't sort do everything by sortition, but but a lot of them they did. And I—I I think the point is right. It's probably because they thought it, it allowed the gods to to govern. But yeah, it seems very strange. But then then changing your commanders every year, you know, in many cases also seems not the wisest strategic move.
6: But also a lot of these people were elected because they were popular, you know, they're politicians, not necessarily because they're good commanders.
2: Yeah.
6: You know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think I'm I think I was wrong actually
0: about Nero. I have to now I have to check this with the skull. I thought the Emperor Nero has, was somehow related to the Nero of the Punic War. I thought I had read about that and the way he had traded on that, but Wikipedia seems to suggest not, although it says the citations are not are not um, are not verified. So I don't I actually now I've I've managed to confuse myself, so I'll have to look that up. <laughs> sorry, Wikipedia I know
7: Wikipedia have over you, Phil.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
0: what I've got that Wikipedia doesn't have is I've got Paul Cartridge in my back pocket, so,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so sorry guys, I know we've gone in a different direction, but Wanted to just
7: acknowledge that just you know in talking about the excitement of that final battle I it, it's weird because I'm not like a violent person or into a war at all but the way that Livy really laid out um, the way the troops were lined up and and the lines that were brought forward and how one particular consul was facing um, you know one leader on the Carthaginian side I was like really excited for this battle which was kind of bizarre but I think the writing, um, so this battle was was done amazingly well, and just building up the drama, like you mentioned before. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, this um, have we heard from everyone on the call? Did anyone join us that uh, other than Bill Swislow that we didn't announce, and Frank Rensler at the beginning? Bruce Upton, Jason Happel, are you guys on the line? No. Okay, well, um, let's just conclude tonight's call with, with the following question. Um, we, so we've, we tonight discussed 26 and 27. Of course, we didn't hit every aspect of it, but it's not possible in, in an hour and change to do that. Um, we, have, we have three books left um, to discuss, anyway. I don't know what you so far have read. Uh, 28 29 and 30 now we, we skipped December um, we are slated to we are slated to meet in February I meant to look this up Does anyone remember if we had scheduled to go through March as well or were we going to end in February anybody happen to know the answer to that because we're going to meet February 9th um, March oh, okay good March. yeah yeah So, I, okay good that's what I thought so we have two more sessions so uh, our next session is February 9th and then we'll and then we'll end in March so my question to you is uh, do, you, do you guys have a have a preference because what we could do for the next call is it tackle 28 and 29 uh, take us close to the end in other words we'd only have book 30 which is 40 oh, 60 60 57 pages or something like that for March because what we could do in March is we could do we could do two things we could we could briefly touch on book 30 and then I could have a scholar come to us uh, live to answer questions talk about you know, Livy, to you know, just have a discussion with us. So if you're if you're up for that, then what I'd say is we do we do two books, possibly even three in February. Though I'm guessing y'all you know, might not be up for all three books, and that's a little too much for one discussion. So if we do both books in February, 28, and 29, we'll have one book left for the last session, and we can have a guest scholar come in to help us talk about that and Livy as a whole. How does that sound?
5: sounds good yeah that's great okay
0: all right let's see what I can do to make that happen
5: Um, Uh, is there anything planned for after this
0: I was just to about to address that so um, uh, no I mean there will be but I haven't decided yet what we're going to tackle next so uh, typically Pat and I meet and and make a decision I'll tell you that um, at the end of this year um, if it's still on track, we expect the Landmark Caesar to be published. Really exciting. So, um, the, the Landmark series are a series of uh, books that began with Thucydides, the Landmark Thucydides, and then, uh, and then did the Landmark Herodotus, Xenophon, um, and, um, was there one other Andre after Xenophon? There was.
5: Arian? There? Arian?
0: Arian? Arian. Thank you. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Arian. And then and then the next text is Caesar and it's they've been working on it for a long time. And it's both the um civil, uh, the uh, the uh, the war, Gaul and the Civil War his writings, you know, with the full landmark treatment. So um we're beginning to gear up for that thinking about events and live lectures and webinar series and of course um, uh, reading groups um, but so we'll, we'll need a text to start in April or May and take us through you know late fall or whatever and then uh, and then we'll and then we'll transition into into Caesar so um, so we'll work on that and let you know
3: um, okay but, uh, this, Hey this Not is good. Harry, there's one thing I need to uh, point out. I've looked on the internet quite a bit and on the landmark, the next publication, and they yeah. have, they have uh, the landmark uh, Polybius, they said it's coming out in oh. sixteen. And they don't mention the Caesar book.
0: Yeah, I I forget what Bob told me about the the timing of all that, but I mean the Caesar is is they haven't announced it yet. The, the hope is that Caesar will be out at the end of this year, but they don't want to put that up on the website yet. Um, and so that's—I um, mean, Polybius will be great, but um, and, and Polybius is very—it's very cool. What they—that'll what, be a great addition to the landmark series for sure. But Caesar, you know, I mean, no, very few people in human history have the brand that Caesar has. <laughs> I mean, everyone's heard of Caesar, um, yeah. and so. Um, I'm hopeful that it will um, allow us to run some programs. Now, Bill Flippel and I were talking, and we're, we're, we're working on some, some of the strategy for the Reading Odyssey going forward. And we're sort of moving in the direction of, um, you know, uh, of, of kind of a two-part strategy. One would be these um, public lecture series that we've done in the past that have been very successful and that are online and offline, and typically can engage literally thousands of people, if not more. And on the other hand, the reading groups, which I think we've really come to the, we've come to the, I think, to the decision, or at least to the, we've got to talk to the board about this. but the reading groups will always remain a, a smaller, num- a much smaller number of people, and a, really a select group of people, right? Like who, who is willing to put the time and effort? These, it's not that it's hard in the sense that you have to be a rocket scientist, but yeah, the commitment to read and keep reading Livy or Herodotus or Thucydides or Caesar Polybius, um, you know, it's just not... There aren't millions of people walking around with that. Um, so we can we can bring, you know, we, we can have a sort of a mass market strategy with the lecture series and, and other kinds of things. And then we have this much more much smaller more long-term committed group of people who, um, who who keep working together I mean you know we have a we have a new person on the call tonight Stuart which we're happy you're here Stuart Thank you. and hope that you keep keep going with us um, with some of us who've been doing this together for 10 years some of us this is our first session but we you know we want to um, at one point I was thinking boy we could have hundreds of reading groups and you know, we we can certainly create the materials that allow people to run reading groups or read on their own. In the pot that we record these discussions, so if someone wanted to read on their own, they could. But um, but I think it's going to be a small group of people. We build close relationships with each other that, that are doing sort of the the intensive reading work together. Um, that at least is sort of what what I think is making sense to us now. So for what it's worth, just wanted to share that.
5: Question, just um, curious or going forward. So yeah. all the other reading groups I've done were Monday nights. This is the first Tuesday night reading group. Yeah. Was there reason for that switch, and is it going to stay? Only because I have a conflict with the second Tuesday of the month, and that conflict oh, okay. has been, I've, I've dedicated it to this, um, and I, yeah. I let the other uh, conflict know that I'm in this group, and um, yeah. it got switched this book. And I said, I don't know if it's going to continue on this night or if it's going to switch back to Monday. Um, so I just was curious if there was a, a specific reason or is it just random chance that it switched.
0: I think it's a, I think I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, we 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 sort of do Mondays and/or Tuesdays. I think it depends on,
5: yeah.
0: um, in part, a large part my my calendar for the next six months and what uh, what it looks like. But it's good to know that Tuesdays are hard for you. We well, can it's just we the can
5: second Tuesday that. of the month. I can do any other yeah, Tuesday yeah. of the month. It's just, it's right. just okay. my other commitment is the second Tuesday of the month.
0: So. Okay. Well, you know, we don't really like people to have other commitments, just so you know. No. <laughs> it's, a
5: char- it's a charitable commitment.
0: Oh, good. Okay, fair enough, then. Uh,
5: well, okay,
0: good. So, yeah, I mean, we could also do the third Tuesday or whatever. I mean, I, th- I think the reason we didn't do the third, um, and today, it's the third Tuesday? I can't even remember what this is. No, this is the second. But today's the second, yeah. Yeah. And because next month, the third Tuesday, I think, is President's Day, and this month, um, no, it's not. That's a Monday. Never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so good to know. Um, <laughs> if anyone has any other um, things like that you want to let me know about, uh, please please do. And um, uh, look forward to speaking to all of you in a month. We'll talk about 20, we, we decide, right? 28 and 29 for February and then 30 and uh, slash a uh, scholar to join us in March.
5: Cool. Okay. Great. All right. Thank Thank you, everybody.
7: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
5: Bye.